Thank you so much, Mary. Man, church, I want to be part of children's ministry. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> it's so good to be with you. Can we say this together, church? When I say, Jesus says, come, and he will come again, you will respond by saying, this is the promise of God. Can we do that together? Ready? Jesus says, come, and he will come again. This is the promise of God. Amen. That's what we are celebrating in this Advent season. As Mary has said it so well, I pray that you prepare your heart for the first coming of Jesus and also anticipate his glorious second coming of Jesus. Let me properly introduce myself to some of you. My name is Jen, and I serve here as one of the pastors it's our great joy to open up the Word of God this morning. Without further ado, actually, let me take a time to read today's scripture for us as we dive into our time. So would you please open up the Word? If you don't have it, it will be up in the screen. John 14, 1 through 4. This will be our preaching text. John 14, 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me and that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This will be what we are going to be studying. I hope you had wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. And I think... I've been waiting for, to say this all year long. Now I can finally say it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> People say it's the most wonderful time of the year, filled with the joys and happiness. Welcome to Advent Sundays here at Shelton. Let me give you a brief overview about where we are going at our church next five Sundays as we prepare the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our Advent Sundays, we will explore the traditional Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, love, and faith, respectively, week by week, based on the account of Jesus written in the Gospels. That's what we are going to be studying, that through the account of Jesus in the Gospels, we will be learning Advent, why the Advent, the first and second coming of Jesus, fulfilled our longing. We all long for something. We as humans always look for something greater to come, don't we? Perhaps some of you it's, really enjoyed Black Friday this past weekend. Perhaps enjoyed it a little too much. I hear that tomorrow is Cyber Monday as well. Such a shopping-filled season. We'll live in the world of Amazon. I don't know how many people have shopped in the Amazon this past weekend. Um, but May 14th of 2019, 
Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, said this at the launch of one-day shipping at their Kentucky Air Base. They opened this airport in order to really enable one-day shipping. But the reason why they did all that, this is what Jeff Bezos said, customers are divinely discontent. They always want more. He's right on money. Well, quite literally, he has a lot of money. <laughs> but it's so right when he says that customers are divinely discontent. They always want something more. Whether it be just a two-day shipping or one-day shipping, same-day shipping, or what you want is cosmically something greater. We always want something more. We are longing. Even in your best moment, you are longing for something more, something greater that is to come. And we will be studying that underneath all your discontentment and longing and desire for something greater, if you peel layer by layer by layer underneath it all, whether you know it or not, you are actually searching for Jesus. The longing that only he can truly satisfy. I pray that we begin to see that as we dive into our Advent series, Jesus, the end of our longing. So I pray that as we go through the series, you will begin to say, Jen and one another, I would really rather have Jesus. He is the one that I am seeking today. So as we launch our series, today's theme, our first week of Advent will be hope. People cannot live without hope. This is what Isaiah 40, 31 says. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This verse in Isaiah acknowledges the power of hope. When you have right object of hope, it will renew your strength. It will empower you to persevere in the middle of hardships and difficulties. So today, what is your basis of your hope today? What is the foundation of your hope? What are you hoping for? I want to especially ask this question for those who are particularly searching for the meaning of life who have gathered here. You have placed your hope in many things. Perhaps it met, your hope has been met, but there is still unquenchable longing in your heart. Perhaps the hope that you had failed you actually and you are miserable and you are searching for the meaning of life. What is this all about? Oh, we are so glad that you are here with us. We live in a world that constantly asks us to be just introspective, look within for the meaning of life. But what if there's something greater than what is within you? What if the meaning of life truly has come to satisfy your longing for true hope? I pray that you will begin to see that today as we dive in. So this is what we are going to do today. First, we will examine our longing for hope. Why are we human intrinsically, divinely discontent? Why are we are cosmically longing for something greater hope? We will first examine the reality, and through our text, we will examine three realities. First, the troubles of our heart. Second, the promise of home. And third, pathway home. 
So in a sense, we are talking about the troubles of our heart, the promise of home, the pathway home. We are talking about our hope, heart, and home. Let's see what the scripture has to teach us. So first, let's lay out the foundation, case for hope. Why? Our longing for hope. Why we such long for true hope that will satisfy us? I was talking to a friend of mine just the other day, and she said this. She's like, Jen, when I was a child, if I were to make a wish to a wish foundation, I would have said that I wanted to be an actress in a Hallmark movie. And I have a couple friends who play Hallmark movie 24-7. I kid not. The Hallmark movie is their favorite thing. And what a complete coincidence, just a couple of Sundays ago, as a ministry staff, we are preparing this sermon in a sense together. And then sermon preparation session for hope soon turned into how great Hallmark movie is. <laughs> Our ministry staff were like, Hallmark is the movie is the greatest. And I was asking, why? And they said, because they are good-looking people in it. No, none of them said that. <laughs> they said they lo- we love Hallmark movie because we know it's promised ending. It's always happy ending. It's not like suspense that you always have to like, I don't know how it's going to end. This is terrible. I don't know. I have to be nervous about. You don't even have to watch the whole movie. If you watch first 10 minutes, last 10 minutes, you got the whole movie down. <laughs> we love Hallmark movie because its outcome is guaranteed. Its outcome is secure. The promised happy ending, if you search for that, we are made for that. That hopeful movie, what an incredible, that gives us such a joy and hope when we watch Hallmark movie that, oh, wow, life can, life can be like this. What is this hope, this longing the Hallmark movie gives that we are talking about in the scripture sense? Let me read how C.S. Lewis, the British apologist who gave talk at BBC Radio, which was made into a book, Mere Christianity. This is what C.S. Lewis says about hope. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism, or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. Most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except in as far as heaven means, meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tended to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own heart, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. What Louis is saying is that we are made to long for heaven What is he saying there? We are created to look forward to that. We are made for happy ending. The happily ever after, happily forevermore is intrinsic desire that is God-given desire. The reason why we love Hallmark movie, we want their stories to be our stories, always happy ending, because we are created for that. It provokes divinely designed inner desire for happy ending. 
That's what Hallmark movie often gives us. But when you actually wake up from Hallmark movie, it does provide an escapism, right? But when you wake up from that reality, your real life isn't quite perfect. Your alive, real life isn't quite Instagram friendly. You just don't wake, wake up, take pictures, and it's like, oh, everything's perfect. No, you have to manufacture that reality in a sense. Put a facade to make it as look good as possible because real life quite isn't that. Filled with disappointment and failure, we are longing. Is this all about why am I having this much hard time? One of the reasons is often because we misplace our hope. Louis is saying, saying that our intrinsic desire, God-given desire, is that we are to look forward to what is to come. We often put so much expectation and hope in the circumstance. We tend to fix our mind on right now where it is. Why? I began this sermon by this is the most wonderful time of the year, filled with happiness and joy. At the same time, why is this season filled with such a highest depression and suicidal rate? Perhaps some of you experienced that you hoped for the best Thanksgiving ever. Perhaps you had that. It was a great Thanksgiving. But as much as you enjoyed it, it also reminded you what you don't have. Perhaps there's some hole in your heart that even the best Christmas gift will not satisfy. As good as your life is, you want the hope that will never fail. Don't you want the reality that will meet your expectation? Don't you want that happily ever after to be really true? What if there is something greater than the circumstantial hope that you and I are longing today that is always fails us in the end? This is how scripture defines hope. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Confidence of things to hope for, the certainty of things not seen. Let me give you a working definition of hope according to the scripture. According to scripture, hope is life-altering certainty and assurance about the future. Let me say that one more time. Hope is life-altering certainty and assurance about the future. We use the word hope as if wishful expectation about uncertain future. But according to Bible, hope is life-altering certainty and assurance about the future. What does that mean? Is that the way you live your life today is completely different based on what you believe about the future. And what do we believe about the future? Jesus says, come, and he will come again. This is the promise of God. Because we believe the future reality, the future is not just a future thing, but your very future hope is very present strength. So in other words, hope is not just being, guessing about what is to come but it is the borrowed strength from the future to your present reality. Because you know there is happy ending coming, even though life is hard and difficult, you persevere through because you know God has promised good to you. That's what the hope is. And yet, as Lewis talked about it, 
while we are made to long for heaven, we tend to fix our minds on this present world. And we don't let this life-altering reality to sip down to our heart. It just becomes intellectual concept. That, oh, yeah, Jesus came. Hey, Merry Christmas. He might come again. Yeah, good, but let me live my life. As a result, we tend to put all our expectation and hope in the basket of this circumstantial world. As a result, it fails us and utterly disappoints us. And in today's text, we will see that. So let's examine the realities of our lives and how this biblical hope has something to say to our troubled heart today. So first thing we see in our text today, that there is the troubles of heart. See how this text begins in John 14. What does it say? Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. See, John 13 through 17 is what, in a sense, is a consolatory discourse by Jesus to his disciples. Jesus is consoling his disciples the night before he's betrayed. Also, this is like a training manual for disciples because this is the last night he has to them. And how he goes about in John 14, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. What is so moving about what Jesus is saying? If I were Jesus, it is Jesus who is heading to the agonies of the cross the next day. It is Jesus who is deeply troubled in his heart, I bet. He's about to face the cosmic death, not just physical death, but the separation from the Father. But even in the night before that he's betrayed, his mind is like, hey, I am committed to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. If I were Jesus in my humanity, disciples, my closest friend, can you just extend your consolation to me? I'm about to do something great for you. Can you just be there for me tonight? I would think that. But even in the moment of his betrayal coming up, Jesus is like, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus is completely expressing his love for his disciples. A couple things we learn from this here. The first See, Jesus' unwavering commitment to you in this one saying. Why is that? If you look at chapter 13, which begins this long discourse by Jesus, Jesus washes disciples' feet, and then Jesus predicts Peter's uh, denial of Jesus. Jesus predicts Judah's betrayal. In other words, they will completely fail him. The people who have spent so much time with Jesus will completely disown him and betray him. And Jesus is still caring for them by saying, do not let your heart be troubled. If I were Jesus, I'd be like, forget you. In my most vulnerable moment, you're going to disown me like that? I thought we are great friends. But even in the moment, Jesus knows their betrayal, their denial, running away from him. Jesus is saying, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. And what is he saying? I'm going to prepare a place for you. When you read that, we might think it's the cosmic construction that lasted 2,000 years in heaven. No, it's not. And when we think of Jesus going to prepare a place, we just think Jesus' resurrection and ascension. But what is pathway to heaven for Jesus? It's the hell. Through death and burial comes before his resurrection and ascension. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going. I will soon head to the cross. 
I'll, my lay, I'll lay down my life for you. You will fail me. You will run away from me. But I'm committed to you through my death. And I'll prepare a place for you. I'll prepare a home for you, for your homecoming. Do you see that Jesus' commitment to you has nothing to do with your performance? Jesus' commitment and love to you has nothing to do with how mature you are. His commitment to, to you has nothing to do with how many hours you spent reading Bible, how many hours you prayed. But Jesus' commitment, even all the disciples failed him. He's just saying, don't let your heart be troubled. I will go ahead of you. I will prepare a place for you. I am committed to you. Will you believe in me? Children, take heart. Your hope today has nothing to do with how well you are doing. If how much Jesus loves me depends on my performance, oh, I quit. Because I know how many times I fail. I'm no different than Judas and Peter. I often wonder about what would I have done if I were disciples. I don't know. I don't think I can say, oh, Jesus, I'll be crucified with you. I don't think I would have said that. Knowing what we know now, we might, but they certainly didn't know. And I'll be the one that's saying, oh, I don't want to die. No. But Jesus is still fully committed to them, even till the end. While Judas sells Jesus for money, while Peter tried to save his own skin by cursing Jesus, by denying him. What does Jesus do in John 13? This is how the entire discourse begins. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world to go to Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Jesus loved us till the end. That is our hope. So, Chelton, if there's any deadly guilt conscience, oh, am I good enough? Am I enough before you got, oh, I failed this, I failed that. Will you lay down your deadly guilt conscience down today? Your hope in Christ it's secured not based on your performance, but based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is our hope. So do not let your heart be troubled. Take hope in Christ who is committed to you even through his death today. In your troubled heart, take home in Christ Jesus. Second thing we see, see Jesus' awareness of your future here. Even in the moment that Jesus is about to get betrayed, why is Jesus saying to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled? Jesus in his divinity knows the impending death of his disciples as well. These are a group of people who will soon be sawn in two. Some of them will be crucified upside down. Some of them, their four limbs will be pulled apart. Some of them, they will be burnt alive. And Jesus is saying, hey, do not let your heart be troubled. I may be going away, but do not let your heart be troubled. And watch the consolation he gives. I'm preparing a place for you. It better be really good consolation. I mean, they are about to face incredible persecution because they will soon see who really Jesus is through his death and resurrection. And what does he offer to his disciple? Second thing we see here, the promise of home. What does Jesus offer to his disciple? Verse 23, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, 
Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus is offering place, home to the troubled heart. When you read through the scripture, Chelton, one of the most pronounced themes in the scripture is exile and homecoming. When you see the Garden of Eden, the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin was what? They were kicked out of their home. They became permanent vagabond. They became homeless. What is home for us? Home is where we can truly take off our facade, take off our mask, take off our performance, and truly be ourselves without any shame. They were naked and unafraid and unashamed in the Garden of Eden. That's what home is. But what sin has brought upon us is we are permanently homeless. And homelessness has the incredible psychological effect in our mind when you think about it. When you remember Israelites, they were set free from the bondage of sin when they were slavery of Egypt. When they were led out in the wilderness, they were homeless for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness. It was so bad that Israelites were saying, hey, I would rather choose slavery over homelessness. Take us back to Egypt. It has the devastating effect in our human heart because home is a place where we belong, where we find the rest of our heart. It's a safe haven. Home is where you're accepted for who you are without feeling like you have to prove yourself. I don't know whether some of you have seen the Pixar movie Up, Mr. Carl Fredrickson. Uh, we all cried in the first eight minutes of that reminiscence scene. And Carl Fredrickson refused to sell his home because that's where his beloved memories with his dear wife. Even the developer offers millions of dollars, like, I'm not going anywhere. I want to stay home because this is where I belong. It's my safe haven, my safe memory. That's what home is. And the homelessness, we have been homeless since at. Adam and Eve sin in the garden, and we are in the homecoming journey throughout our, in our lives till the heaven. Our hearts are deeply tied to home, and without home, our hearts are restless. One of the most gripping books that I read, I think it's 2018 or 19, is this book called Eviction, Poverty and Profit in American City, written by Matthew Desmond. Um, it, it became the Pulitzer Prize winner in 2017. One of the main premises of the book is that eviction is the cause, not only the condition of poverty. He writes in very, he himself chose to become homeless in Milwaukee. He became homeless for three months to write this book, and he currently teaches at Princeton. So I actually got to talk to him because so many of people talked about this book. And this is what he says. He, I found out later after I read the book that he actually is a Christian too. He's, he's a son of a preacher as well. Um, this is what he says about home. The home is the center of life. It is a refuge from the grind of work, the pressure of school, and the meanness of the street. We say that at home we can be ourselves. Everywhere else, we are someone else. At home, we remove our mask. The home is the wellspring of personhood. It is where our identity takes root and blossoms, where as children we imagine, play, and question, and as adolescents we retreat and try. As we grow older, 
We hope to settle into a place to raise family or pursue work. When we try to understand ourselves, we often begin by considering the kind of home in which we are raised. Home is the safe haven. Without home, our hearts will utterly be restless. And to this troubled hearts of disciples, what is Jesus offering? Despite all your failures and flaws and troubles of life, I will prepare a home for you. You can rest in the future reality home. You can borrow the future hope for your present strengths. Yes, God, I'm in my homecoming journey. I may be homeless today. Underneath all I'm longing, I am longing for true home. Perhaps home is not the greatest memory to some of you. When you hear the word home, you don't feel the little sweet tug in your heart for what you feel is pain and hurt. May I tell you that true home is coming. Your true homecoming, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will come back and take you to home. Until that day, persevere, take your heart. See, because apart from having true home in your heart, Shelton, you will be restless without the proper object of hope. Your heart is homeless, which will lead to restlessness, and it has devastating consequences. I personally got to witness this in first hand, actually. Uh, when I lived in Dallas, one of the things I did is that I was deeply involved in homeless ministry. It was one of the passion of mine. There are many homeless ministries in Dallas. Some of them offer food. Some of them offer shelter. The ministry that I got to be part of offered discipleship. So we would literally go search and rescue homeless. So I would visit them every other weekend go under the bridge, go home where our homeless people are. And we would offer life skills. We would ask them whether they would be willing to meet with us. But one of the first things that we have always done is asking whether they would be willing to check themselves in rehab because oftentimes they are, they are saturated in a lot of substance that they shouldn't. Believe it or not, over 90% people, I got to talk to at least a couple hundred over a few years that I've been part of. Now over 90% all say, no, I'm not going to go anywhere. I took my young adults' friends and my youth students, everybody. There's a miraculous story, though. One day, I particularly remember this lady named Tammy. One of my youth girls even gave her jacket, her own jacket, to help her. I saw her at least a dozen of times over throughout a couple of years. But while she's very sensitive to touch, imagine being homeless as a lady. She's bruised and scarred. She would always refuse to get checked in. One day, I went. Her face was completely bruised and darkened. She was just crying. I said, Tammy, are you ready for a change of life? Do you, are you ready for a new hope? And for the first time after a year, she said, yeah, I'm ready. So we took her to a rehab center. And oftentimes, people just run out. They don't complete the three-year program. By grace of God, she finished the whole program. And she says, Jin, I have found my hope in Jesus Christ. And as she ended up becoming, after she got out, we gave her an apartment, we gave her a key so that she can have a permanent home. And she became evangelist. She would go out with us to search and rescue, telling homeless people, but there is the hope that will never fail. There is a true home for you. It was incredible because we rarely see that. As much as we go out, we rarely see this kind of hope transforming lives. So we thought, oh, Tammy is great now. Praise be to God. And then a few months later, I, we kind of lost in touch with Tammy. 
And it was 2015 winter, I flew up to Princeton for a job interview, pastoring job. And then all of a sudden, I get a Facebook message from a couple friends of mine, um, Heather and Haley, I remember, the sisters, friends of mine who really reached out to Tammy a lot. Jen, are you free this weekend? I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I'm up in Princeton. And they were like, well, we are having a funeral for Tammy. And I'm like, what happened? I thought she's all fine. Well, she left her apartment and she went back to the street. And a month later, we found her dead. And I couldn't believe it. I thought her life has been completely turned around. She trusted in Jesus. She found a new hope in Jesus. And yet, she went back to the street. Even she was physically and spiritually redeemed from the harshness of the street. She was homeless in her apartment even, emotionally. And she went to the wrong place. She found the wrong hope in the street once again. And then we don't know what happened. I trust that she's with Jesus because she found her hope in Jesus. Yet it's often us, Shelton. Even though Jesus has redeemed us, he has promised home. He gave us key for home. We go back to the meanness of the street. Even emotional, maybe spiritually, we have been redeemed, but we constantly run back to the wrong hope. What is your misplaced hope? You think that will satisfy you. In the end, it will leave you empty and dead. Perhaps you're trying to find hope in your career. Those are good things. But if you put all your basket, all your eggs in the one basket, career, family, romance, relationship, that hope is not strong enough to carry you through. Underneath all our longing for hope, Shelton, you are longing for Jesus. Do you realize that? All nothing else will satisfy you. Even me, I have lived a nomadic life. I have moved out of my home in high school, living in prep school in Korea, moved to Colorado for one year, Florida for Texas eight, Princeton, New Jersey for now here. I desire home where my heart can truly rest. But often I find my hope in something else. I must approve myself. If only I do well in what I do, I'll find a home in my heart. No, it doesn't. Our true home can be found underneath all our longing for home. We are longing for Jesus. What are you searching today? Those who are searching for meaning, are you truly searching in all wrong places, the mean streets of Dallas? What is that for you? There is no home. It will leave you empty in the end. Now, you're asking, Jin, how do I get to that home? How do I get home there? Let me end here. Force the pathway home. I did not read this text, but look verse 5 and 6, how Jesus says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way home. Jesus is the end of our longing. There's no way home apart going through Jesus. How is this possible, you ask today? Shelton, do you realize that Jesus himself became homeless so that we may be welcomed home? 2,000 years ago, what we celebrate this Christmas, Jesus himself left his home, his, his eternal haven, eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, and he became just like a mere man. 
left his home, and then he was born homeless outside of his own town in a manger. And he lived homeless all his life. There was no place to lay his head. And then he was hanged on the cross outside of his own town, outside the city. And he was buried homeless. That he did not have his he, he did not even have his own tomb. That he was laid in a borrowed tomb. Jesus' death and yet resurrection is the ultimate exodus and ultimate homecoming for us. Do you realize that, Shelton? When we have been exiled because of our fallenness in the Garden of Eden. Jesus himself became exiled. Jesus himself became the cosmic outsider, homeless at the cross, not knowing where to go, bearing all our sins through his homelessness. Now we are welcomed home. Do you realize that for him to prepare a place for us, he had to abandon his home? That's what we remember and celebrating in this Christmas. Where do you find hope? Put your hope in Jesus. All our hope will fail you, Chilton. What is your misplaced hope today? If that is miscalibrated, I pray that you will long, you'll begin to recalibrate your hope in Christ alone. And if you are searching today, I pray that you consider the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what this season is all about. Christ, Christmas, and the cross. It's all one thing. What Jesus has done for us. Are you longing today? Jesus is the end of our longing. He is your hope. He is the way of your homecoming. Let's take heart in him today. Let me pray for us. God, in this earthly journey, we often tend to put our hope in so many wrong things. Therefore, our hearts are homeless our hearts are often restless. But Jesus, you tell your disciple and us today, do not let your heart be troubled. Oh God, despite all our failures and flaws, despite all our misplaced hope, you are still committed to us. We thank you and we praise you for that. So today, in this Advent, we remember you, why you had to come, to give us this glorious hope for our homecoming. Jesus, we remember you becoming the ultimate outsider, ultimate homeless for us. That's what you have done so that you will prepare a place for us one day. We will see you face to face. So may this certain reality of future become our present strength. God, I lift up those who are weary in their heart, who are restless in their heart, Will you allow them to examine their heart and find new hope in Christ alone today? God, I pray that you will do the mighty work that only you are able to do. We commit ourselves to you. First and foremost, thank you for your commitment to us, how you loved us till the end. May we abide in the glorious love today. In your precious name we pray, amen.